much for taking the time to talk to us again um, about your experience as um, an implantologist, um, specialist interest in implantology. I know there's the, yeah, the, sure, different, no problem. the different terms. Um, just, I think something that I always find quite interesting um, is talking to people and finding out where things go wrong. I think it's something that people really like to know what they need to look out for. So I was wondering if you would go through maybe a few a few pitfalls that you could you could offer up some of your the things that you've learned over your over your time of things that you would you would um maybe try and avoid um things that you would see as a failure. Um, yeah, in the definitely, definitely. I mean I mean what what's the how's the saying go? It's, it's what's uh, 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 a wise person learns from his mistakes. A very wise person learns from other people's mistakes. So, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and God knows I've made enough mistakes in the past. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. And um, what I've done for you, Jill, is, is I've got a top five, okay, of the, the common mistakes that, that I see and other implant dentists making that I've made numerous times and, and certainly try to avoid. But, uh, but yeah, the, these are my top five. So do you want them in reverse order? In reverse order, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> reverse order, okay. <laughs> so mistake number five in reverse order. First one is not establishing adequate oral health and failing to adjust treatment plans for the bone available. Um, the thing is, dentists think that because you haven't got teeth, you can no longer have perio. And they kind of just, the perio doesn't go away just because they no longer have teeth. Um, Yes, there's good evidence that the amount of bacteria in the mouth changes and the, the, the actual sort of um, cross-section and the type and amount of bacteria you have does change once the teeth are out. But the reason why patients get perio, and you know that's not really for this discussion tonight, doesn't go away just because you're taking teeth out. You need a decent oral environment to put implants in and just because the patient maybe starts cleaning their teeth or has a couple of visits to the hygienist and then thinks they're suitable for implants is a mistake that's that's bitten me a few times so um you know other things that and patients will lie to you um (laughs) for me I, i will yeah yeah the other one's smoking and and lots of people different views about that for me my red line is um if a patient continues to smoke, I won't do any grafting. That, that's something that I've, I've learned for, to my cost. I just find if it's dead simple implant placement, I, I say have a smoking holiday. I say stop smoking for a couple of weeks before, a couple of weeks after, and we're good to go. Patients then turn around and say, well, Paul, if I could stop smoking for a month, I'd stop smoking altogether. I get that. But yeah. I remember one patient coming in and saying, oh, you have stopped smoking. Yeah, of course I have, Paul. I said I'd stop smoking and I've stopped smoking. And when you don't smoke, you can kind of smell when someone's still smoking or isn't in, in a house where people smoke. Mm-hmm. And she put a handbag on the chair. It fell off and 20 cigarettes fell out. And she just <laughs> she looked at them and then she looked at me and I looked at them and I looked at her and she just said, Oh, there's somebody else's. So that's that's about you've got to change what you're doing according to what the patient is doing or, or that patient. You can't just expect to do the same thing and get the same results each time. 
So would you, so would you generally, if somebody isn't, uh, just won't, refuses to give up smoking for their own reasons kind of thing, you, would you, would you just say, well, look, I, I can't, can't help, I can only help you up to this point and just sort of put like a limitation around what, what you would expect treatment yeah. you could kind of like manage on that kind of thing? That's a good one, Jill. I say to them, if you continue to smoke, I won't do any grafting, be it hard mm -hmm. or soft tissue, because I just find you get an absolutely rubbish result. It never works how you want it to. It gets infected. It just ends up a big old mess. So, so that's, that's the red line for me. Yeah. I will place implants in smokers, but what I say to them is uh, all bets are off. You know, you, the normal guarantees that I give, that's then on you, you know. Yeah. And, and often if patients complain, I say, look, and I, I work it out and I say, mm -hmm. okay, you're smoking, what, 10 cigarettes a day? Okay, in 12 months, you'll have paid for all your treatment if you stop smoking. And they kind of get that. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. A, that's a good way to get them, yeah. yeah. And in terms of the perio thing, Paul, is there like a level, is there, is there like certain levels or is there like, would you, would you rather see your patient had, had sort of established like sort of, a good hygiene routine for a certain amount of time before you would or you know is that something that you would you would recommend a sort of care package around about place of implants and yeah that, that, and that, that's true and I've I've done I mean personally just with running the course now and yeah. I spoke to the delegates um to get a patient that has great bone doesn't need any augmentation has got excellent oral hygiene, doesn't have any perio, is in perfect health, is like a unicorn, they, yes. they just don't exist. And if, if you didn't put implants in in perio patients, you, you wouldn't be putting that many implants in, let's face it. But yes. there's a difference being someone that has rampant perio and, you know, is, is a, a toothbrush is completely alien to them and someone who, who genuinely wants to make the effort to improve things because they, they want to start again. So yeah so that that's fair enough but I, I do think there is a difference yeah no absolutely absolutely excellent so number number five is done so what's what's number the next five one? is done okay yeah <laughs> well number four is kind of a bit like um number four and number three but number four is <laughs> forgetting the fundamentals of occlusion with your freehand placement so the trouble is if you don't put the implant in the right place it's going to make it tricky to, rest to restore. It's going to make it difficult to keep clean. And you're just going to end up with problems biomechanically and occlusion wise. Mm -hmm. So you, you just get, if the implant's in the wrong place, you, you get more restorative failure. So although, as long as the implant's in bone, it'll work, but you're just going to get more problems down the line. Yeah. So you, you really ideally want the implant aligned with the the, the axis of, of collusal forces. So, yeah. and, and goodness knows, I've made this mistake plenty of times. You know, it's, I think it's easier now with people doing a lot more guided surgery that the implants are, are placed in the proper place. The, the problem I had is that in the past, I, I was often guided by the force. And sometimes the force was strong and it went in the right place. And sometimes the force wasn't so strong, Jill, and it went in the wrong place. But, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so, when it, so what, in terms of that sort of stuff, is that to do with, um, do you think that over the, over the time you yourself have become more intuitively aware of where it should be going? Have you adopted different protocols? I know that you're not a massive fan 
digital planning at the moment, are you, Paul? Or I don't. Yeah, you know. I think digital planning and digital song will get you so far. But mm -hmm. but I think at the end of the day, you still have to raise a flap. You still have to sometimes augment the bone. Yeah. You still have to do something. And sometimes, you know, there's times I've had guides, especially in the back of the mouth. And what you don't realize is, is the patient can only open a certain amount. And sometimes you've got the guide, you've got the sleeve, sometimes you've got a key, then you've got the drill, and then you've got the handpiece, and there just isn't enough room. And sometimes the guide just ends up on the side and you just have to do it. So I, I would always say you need to learn to do it with and without Yes. to guide and I think starting off freehand is probably you learn a lot that you wouldn't from a guide yeah. so but, but yeah you're right and sometimes I just do a simple analog guide just to make sure especially when you're, you're missing other landmarks when you haven't got adjacent teeth to get your positioning right mm -hmm. um, so that's when I, I think a guide's essential when you've got multiple teeth missing so that you get the implants where they need to be yeah. which leads us on to the third mistake which yeah, is um, which is not starting with a tooth in mind and, and <laughs> ah right okay <laughs> yeah every every implant should be placed and restoratively driven you, you just can't not do that you've always got to, to, to focus on the teeth not the bone mm -hmm. so yeah the, the trouble is because you're kind of thinking implants and because you're thinking that dentists will focus on the bone first i mean it's it's understandable because the surgical element of of placing can be daunting so it's kind of like the first thing you look at is is where's the bone where can i get the implant in whereas you kind of need to not do that you need to just think okay that's where the eventual tooth needs to be where can i put the implant so that it's in the right place for the tooth yes yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so, uh, so you're sort of starting with, uh, start with the tooth in mind, as you say, um, and working back the way almost. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's that thing that if you've got a choice between putting the implant in the wrong place in the existing bone, yeah. as in prosthetically driven, or putting the implant in the right place and there isn't enough bone and having to do augmentation, I think in my experience, you're better off with the latter, not the former you're better off putting the implant in the right place. And grafting particularly in the last few years has become a lot more predictable. And that's the reason for that. Whereas if you'd asked me that question when I started years and years ago, I would have said it was the former, not the latter. Yeah, yeah, well, that's really interesting. So over, over that time, you've sort of changed your own opinion on that. Um, as well yeah. Yeah, I mean you can things. you can compensate you, you can use angled abutments you can use screw channels and so on but but they can only correct in my opinion about 30 degrees if it's right. more than 30 degrees I think you're you're onto a loser you, you're going to end up breaking stuff you're going to get screw loosening uh -huh. you're going to get far more prosthetic problems if, if you're putting it in at more of an angle. Yeah, rather than putting that in, rather. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, because I was speaking to um, somebody the other day about that, about, and, and they're, they're uh -huh, about putting in angle, putting it in and then working a crown round about it. But yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I think that your approach um, makes a lot more sense because ultimately that's, I think as well, it's that patient experience, isn't it? They don't, you know, for patients. Yeah. 
they're, they're trusting you. And, and I think that's a big responsibility. And, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you kind of owe it to them to do it the best way. And, mm. and you know, it's, it's easy to think, oh God, you know, and I look at some of the stuff that I did years ago and they come back in, I think, well, I wouldn't have done that that way now, or I could have done that better, but that's, that's the learning process. You, you know, you can't, can't beat yourself up about what you, you can only change what you do in the future. So, so yeah, which brings us on to mistake number two. Mistake number two, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's placing implants too shallow. Right, okay. You've got to have implants. And, and this is what I hammer home to people on the course, that it's that three and a half millimeter rule, that, that the implant head should always be three and a half millimeters from the gingival zenith to allow a proper space for the emergence profile. Yeah. I think less than that, you, you, you're into all sorts of other problems. You may get away with it and maintain bone around the top of the implant. I think one of the major causes of, of crestal bone loss post-placement is because the implant's too shallow and there's insufficient soft tissue above it. Um, I also, so let's just say you get away with that or you get some bone loss and then it stabilizes. You just, that emergence profile as it's coming out tends to be too steep it's too sort of flat mm -hmm. and you just get problems with food trapping it's difficult for patients to keep clean you know it, it that's the trouble so mm -hmm. but then like with most things you, you've got a dilemma and the dilemma to, the dilemma is you know what do you do if you haven't got enough bone you want to place the implant deeper but if you place it deeper you're going to be into other structures like the sinus or, or hitting the nerve uh -huh. So there's always a balance to be struck, but, but often the problems that you see with implants is that it's too shallow. Right. And that is that one of the things you would say is the kind of major, major things that you see problems if people yeah. come to you with issues, is it be well, that kind of shallow? Yeah. Implant? I mean, what's the solution? I mean, either use a shorter implant. So, so normally you need a variety of implants in stock so you can sometimes go a bit shorter and mm -hmm. place it a bit deeper than you, you would want and, and what i also say to people is is when a mentoring um a, a bone level implant is normally at least a millimeter sub subcrestal mm -hmm. so you don't really want to place bone level implants at the bony crest because unless the bony crest is absolutely flat it's it's not at bone level the other, the other good trick that, that, that I sometimes use, especially if a ridge is, is, um, is inclined or is not an even space, is I'll use a big round rosehead burr. Um, and the daspers are quite good for this. Um, they're, they're like a big sort of half moon shaped burr and just flatten off the ridge so that you've got a better sort of starting point for, for placing your implant. Yeah, and, and your left side to go off angle, and straight away by dimpling that ridge, you're going to have the implant a bit deeper from where the the gingival margin is. Yeah, so you're able to to place it. So, in terms of, have you got a minimum then a minimum implant size that you would use? Well, well, um, a short implant is is defined as anything less than eight millimeters. Right. I mean, I think nowadays we're, we're kind of I mean, my standard implant for the backs are kind of an eight and at the front is, is a 10. And I mean, yeah. 
when I started, they were just, that was completely heretical. You, you just, you know, you, you, you would never use something that short if you could get away with yeah. it. You used to use a lot longer implants, but, but there's, there's no point. I, I don't, you know, I really don't see that you need to go that much longer in, in, in many circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I, I think implant technology has improved as well. And they just, I mean, implants don't usually have a problem integrating. And now you can, depending on if you're placing immediately or delayed immediately or delayed, you can, you can kind of get implants to suit each situation and, and sort of almost get a bespoke solution for that patient that's going to work best. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, doesn't it? And I suppose in terms of when you see that sort of thing um, and it has gone wrong, is that a case of having to take it all back out and start again? Or are you able to sort of, do, would you try and bulk up soft tissue or would you try and regraft around it or how would you how would you sort of solve that kind of problem? Yeah, honestly, Jill, it depends on the situation. Yeah. The, the trouble is, it's, it's sometimes easier to fix if it's your patient because you can kind yeah. of do it again. Whereas it's really hard to fix if it's somebody else's patient because that that patient has already paid for the treatment and implants aren't cheap in anybody's book. Yeah. Um, they've paid for the treatment once and then they often don't realize they've got a problem or the problem they perceive as being quite minor, like I, I get food stuck or I have difficulty keeping it clean or it bleeds sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't realize how bad the problem is. And then you're telling them the solution is probably multiple surgeries to take this out, regraft the area, put another implant in in a better position that's going to put them through all the trauma again, (laughs) multiple surgeries. They're going to have to pay for it all again, and they're going to have to pay more than they did the first time. And I'll I'll tell you, that's never a good conversation to have with any patient. No, I can't imagine that there's many people that would enjoy that conversation, either having having to have that with a patient or the patient receiving that news, having already spent a fortune and gone through that before. Um, So the moral of that, number two, um pitfall to avoid is is make sure that you've got plenty um of yeah. give, um, give yourself enough running room for, for, <laughs> for the head of the implant to yeah. where the, the the final restoration is going to be or, yeah. or the final prosthesis is going to be definitely yeah absolutely Which brings on to number one number one the number one thing to avoid okay. or to think about <laughs> i say to, to delegates on my course tattoo this on your arm and never forget it you have got to get your flaps closed tension free every single time. It's, it's, and you see, and, and I'm a great fan. I, I mean, I, I, it's a bit geeky and sad, but hey, do you know what? Um, you look at Facebook and I'm on all the forums and stuff and you see people posting their surgeries and it's great. And I think it's a really good learning experience. Yeah. Um, and I drive all the girls I work with mad because I'm like, say, oh, they did that wrong and you should have done that and should have done that differently. Um, but again, what you'll often see is people show this beautiful surgery. They'll have done it gorgeously. They'll have got some great graft in. They'll have covered it all. And then you, you, they won't show you the flap closed uh-huh. because they'll often have boxed themselves in. They'll have not extended the flap sufficiently. They won't have got sufficient release and they'll have not been able to get it closed. And I know because God knows I've done this enough times myself. You, you get the implant in, you get your graft in, you get your membrane on top. You kind of close it and it, it doesn't quite close enough. So, so you do your periosteal release and you think, oh, that's all right. I've done my periosteal release. And you maybe get another two or three millimeters, 
mm-hmm. but it's still not closed. <laughs> so you do another periosteal release, you yeah. get another millimeter or two, and it's still not closed. So what you do is you get your stitches and you really pull on those stitches. And you think, there we go, it's closed, excellent. <laughs> it's just, and, and I know I've, I've done it plenty of times, and I'll tell you now, what you're not taking into consideration is the first thing that happens to any surgical site is it swells up, mm-hmm. and it swells up, <laughs> and guess what, it opens. And as soon as a, uh, any wound opens, you are gonna lose minimum 50% of your graft material. Mm-hmm. It, it's just gone, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what you see all the time. So it's almost like um, when you're designing your flap, when you're thinking about your surgery and you're visualizing it before you do it, you need to kind of think, where do I need to go so I can extend this and not kind of box myself in? So because you you've got to get it, and it's not just getting tension free. Any graft is never going to work if it's moving. So you've got to immobilize the graft, cover it properly with a membrane. And, and again, yeah, happy to plug by Bioguiden, uh, BioOS, because I use them Feel all free. the time. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, Jill. You know, and, it's, um, and, and it, it does, it integrates well, and, um, but it's got to be immobilized. And that's yeah. either going to be pins or, or it's got to be a decent stitch. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but do you ever use, do you, do you- to attack your membrane, Paul? Is that something that you would, in, in any cases, yeah, all of them? Or... Uh, uh, sometimes, I mean, bone tacks or screws have got their place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll be honest, they're not cheap. I think they're about 30 euros a pop. And if you're doing a big surgery, you can soon sort of mount up the amount of money you're actually having to spend for that graft. Mm-hmm. And and it, it isn't all about profit, but but there's no point doing any grafting if you're doing it for free or you're making a loss doing it. It, it, you know, it's not a dirty word in dentistry, you know, profit allows you to invest in yourself, your, your education, your materials and, um, and you need to. So I'd say probably eight times out of 10, I'll, I'll use a stitch like a sling suture Mm -hmm. that's that's anchored onto the periosteum and I'll use that to immobilize my graft. Um, But I do sometimes use tacks for pins. Yeah. 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 Excellent. It can sometimes though, the, the patients will say, well, because uh, normally they're left in, especially if you're using them for a, a resolvable membrane. So um, they're often left in and you kind of take the x-ray and the patients will often say, oh, there's little pins still in there. And you're kind mm-hmm. of trying to say, yeah. And they kind of look at you as if like, they're supposed to be in there. And he goes, no, no, that's normal. They do stay there. They're just titanium. They're made the same material as your implants. So uh-huh. oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah yeah so excellent so there there's your top good. five <laughs> your top five that's brilliant thank you so much i think the thing about it is it, it, it's really good and as you said as you said at the very start there paul it, i think you know um if you learn by your own mistakes but it's even better to learn by somebody else's <laughs> um yeah, and, to, yeah. and, and that's what this the, these podcasts are about it's about it's you know and you know your own your, your course and, and things like that it's about you passing on your knowledge that you've had, that you've gained, that you've gathered over over the time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think one of the reasons why I've, I've done the course is because I kind of wanted to, to have a course that I would want to have gone on when I started on my implant journey. Because yeah. you learn things and, and you just think, well, you, I don't know, you kind of have a responsibility, the rest to try and pass it on to other people because I... I 
dentistry isn't just about knowledge it's about the skills as well and you, you need both mm-hmm. and you don't get the skills just by showing somebody you've got to show them they've got to do it then they've got to do it again and again and again and it's only by that repetition that you start to to get a feel for it and and to get better at it so yeah. so yeah Excellent. good good well listen thank you so much for your time um again this evening um and we will catch up again soon um, for the next podcast all righty brilliant you're welcome jill take care yeah. bye for now bye, bye.